Amen. Well, you brought a Bible with you, say yes. Let me invite you to open it to James chapter 4 this morning. James chapter 4. I want to welcome all of you guys this morning as we study this uh, particular book. We've been going verse by verse in the uh, subject 24 Carat Faith. Also, I want to thank you for your prayers this past week. We had an awesome time in Brazil as we're doing a Bible training center there for pastors and had a great time. I actually talked through more books this past week than I've ever done before on a trip like this. We talked through a book entitled Bible Doctrine. We also talked through a personal spiritual development. And then Pastor Randy talked through church administration. So it was a great time and uh, got back. I've been a little bit under the weather. I do not have Ebola, so no worries on that front. Uh, for some reason, everybody keeps asking me that. I hope I don't anyway. I, I did take a little NyQuil last night, so uh, if I fall asleep in the middle of this message, y'all just nudge me. But uh, just kidding there. But I'm very excited to be able to share with you James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10. Well, I want you to know this morning that God's people are called to walk in faithfulness to Him. God's people are called to walk in faithfulness to Him. When we choose to be unfaithful to the Lord, the Bible describes that as spiritual adultery. I want you to consider that for a moment this morning. When you and I stop giving the Lord Jesus Christ a top priority in our life, and we give ourselves over to this world system, we're actually committing a spiritual infidelity. The amount of damage that that does to a church's witness for Jesus is overwhelming. In fact, a church preaches, come to Christ and he will change your life forever. But an unbeliever often says, how is it that the Christ you preach has not changed you? And this morning in James chapter 4, we are going to see James put this church of Jewish believers on front street and call them out specifically for their spiritual adultery. So that in mind, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, if you'll stand with me out of God's word this morning, you've got it there in front of you, say yes. The Bible says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned in the morning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Let's bow together. Father, what a strong passage of Scripture this is that we have the great pleasure of studying this morning. God, in one hand, we want to look at this passage of Scripture and simply set it off to those who received it many years ago. But God, this has a personal message to each one of us, challenging us, Lord Jesus, to walk in loyalty to you. 
So we pray in the name of Christ that we would receive the word of God implanted into our hearts, which is able to save our souls this morning. God, we ask that you would bring to the forefront of our minds any kind of infidelity that we may possess spiritually in our life, where we are not placing you first, primary, of all importance in us. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would be glorified this morning through the preaching of your word. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you can go ahead and be seated. Well, a few things that James teaches us from this text of Scripture this morning, I want to just jump right into it because there are several lessons that we can glean. The first thing that I want to note this morning is that we cannot two-time the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot two-time Jesus. Believers are called to faithfully walk with Jesus in this world. However, when we choose not to do so, we are committing spiritual adultery. Uh, that was the case with those whom James was writing in verse 4. James calls these Jewish believers out by stating, you adulteresses. Now the New Testament church is described to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ as a marriage relationship. The bride of Christ, the church, is a love gift from God the Father to God the Son. However, listen, when the church made up of individual members chooses to interlock fingers with the world's way of thinking and living, there is a matter of unfaithfulness to Jesus that is exposed. I have heard of marriages where a spouse suspects infidelity, and as such, that spouse will actually hire a private investigator to try to figure out what's going on in the matter. So this morning, for a moment, let us act as a private investigator and see what gives credibility to James' remarks on calling them out as adulteresses. And what do we see first? We see, first of all, that there was a fight among the people of the church. Look again in James 4 and verse 1. The Scripture says, But what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now notice a couple of words here. There's the word quarrels. Now that word quarrels is the same word used to describe an act of war between two parties. And then the term conflict. It speaks of a severe clash occurring between two people. Uh, one commentator notes, ongoing hostility, burst of antagonism in the church, say it isn't so. But it was so in this church, and it is so in many churches today. You know, James also highlights the source, the very place where these uh, spiritual adultery first germinates. It was indeed in the pleasures of man, the hedonistic, selfish desires of the heart. The people were going to church for the wrong reason. Not to help the church and advance it, but to advance themselves. Each wanted to be known as somebody. Each was seeking uh, his or her own good instead of the good of the brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were led, as we saw in James chapter 3, by worldly wisdom. Their worldly wisdom was giving uh, credence to great chaos in the context of this fellowship. And as a result, James calls them out and says, Because you have this fighting among yourselves in the body of Christ, you are giving evidence that you are committing spiritual adultery on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, listen, 
when you exercise godly wisdom, there will always be unity in the body of believers. So our private eyes this morning can look at James chapter 4 and verse 1 and see that evidence of spiritual adultery is seen in the fighting that is happening among the people of the church. But also as we look a little further, we see that there's a presence of a hateful attitude. Look at verse 2 in your Bible. He says, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Now James continues the imagery of a war between two people or parties within this fellowship and now brings the idea of murder to the forefront. Now I don't see this as an act of actual murder, but rather an attitude of hatred. Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 5 verse 21 through 22 that hatred towards another person is an attitude of murder in our hearts for which we stand guilty before Almighty God. So there were those who so desired to have their way, so desired to have their voice heard, that if they could get someone on their side, that they literally had someone pulling for them, they were okay. But if someone were against them, they would begin to hate that individual. Imagine that. You avoid someone that goes to the same church as you do. You have this inner disgust every time their name is mentioned or every single time that they walk into the room. Your nose turns up to that person and quickly you attack them verbally anytime their name is brought up in a conversation. Their name is mentioned and you pounce on them. Jealousy towards others so eats at you that springing up from a heart Hardened by sin is a wellspring of hatred. And whenever you possess this hateful attitude towards someone within the body of Christ or towards someone in general, this gives evidence that you are not genuinely in love with Almighty God. You cannot claim to love God and hate your brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. That does not mix. As a matter of fact, you cannot claim to love the one that you cannot see and at the same time claim that you love those individuals that you do see. You've got to have have a genuine love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're doing some investigative work this morning. We've seen wars and hateful attitudes so far, but now we kind of shine the light of interrogation on a lack of true prayer. Notice verse 2 and 3 in your Bible. This is pretty wild. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So on the one hand, there's a lack of prayer altogether. You do not have because you do not ask. Listen, whenever you have prayer crawling off the spiritual discipline table in your life, that is evidence of spiritual adultery taking place. When you cease communicating with the Lord Jesus, there's a clear indication that your heart's affection is doting on another. Uh, where is your prayer life this morning? Are you spending time speaking to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you devoted to him in prayer? The Bible says that we are to devote ourselves in prayer. We are to pray at all times. But if we are not seeking God in prayer, if we are not waking up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with an attitude of prayer towards the Lord Jesus, but we are waking up and we are rushing into our day without any consideration of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are committing spiritual adultery. We have placed our heart's affection on another other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's also a sense that 
Jesus in this text is really teaching us that some people are trying to call out to him, trying to get Jesus to accomplish their bidding, using Jesus as some sort of cosmic Santa Claus, treating him as a mere errand boy who's present only to accomplish your personal desires. And that's why he says here in the text that you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You know, this text really does, it begs begs you and I ask a few questions. One we could ask, am I at war with someone in my life? Do I have this antagonistic attitude towards another person? Be it someone that I live with, be it someone that I go to church with, be it someone that I even work with. Do I have this antagonistic attitude, this hateful attitude towards another person? If I do, then there is a good sense that there is spiritual adultery occurring in my life. And And then then I can ask the question, is there someone that causes me inner angst whenever I hear their name mentioned? You think about that for a moment. You're in a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden that individual's name is brought to the forefront of that conversation. And as soon as that individual's name shows up, there is something inside of you that just barks out. You have this inner angst toward that individual. Listen, that that is an issue in your heart. It's an issue in my heart when this occurs. It shows us that we are committing adultery on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because whenever we are fully devoted to Jesus and we are loving him fully, that is when his love is expressed fully through us. And then whenever his love is expressed fully through us, we give evidence that we are genuinely in love with him. Then I can ask the question, is my prayer life genuine or only present when I'm trying to get God on my side? Is my prayer life genuine or only present when I'm trying to get God on my side? You know, James notes that this kind of lifestyle is one that displays a friendship with the world. We see that in verse 4 again in your Bible. He says, you adulteresses, uh, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now think about this. If we fight among one another... If we develop a hatred towards others in the body of Christ, if we cease praying to be aligned with God and his purposes, then we are actually taking up arms against the Lord. We're committing spiritual adultery. And as a body of believers, we're two-timing the Lord Jesus Christ. Fighting, hating, wrong praying, all of these are true of the world system. And when we walk in this manner, it's as if we are joined the enemy's camp and are making war against the Lord himself. The amount of damage that this does to a church's witness for Jesus is overwhelming. And you all have seen it before in churches. Perhaps you've even been involved in a church before where there was infighting or where there were hateful attitudes being expressed or where there were times of prayer that were not genuinely devoted to Jesus but rather devoted to personal desires and pleasures. This is evidence that a church, listen, an entire church, a local body of believers can actually commit adultery on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a strong concept, is it not? Man, I would pray that our church would not fall into this. The concord would not fall into spiritual adultery, but you and I, as individual members who make up this body, would be totally loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that he would have first priority in our life, that he would not be some extracurricular activity, but he would actually be the one that our hearts are doting for, that our hearts are affectionate for, that our hearts are passionate for. Jesus should have every bit of our lives. That's our challenge. This morning, the scripture first tells us that we cannot two-time the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing that this verse teaches us is that we must listen to his calling. We must listen to his calling. Look at verse 5. I love this. He says, do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Now let's think about that for a moment. God jealously desires. That is, the Lord intensely longs for the spirit of God. The spirit of God that he has called to dwell inside of us. This passage magnifies the gift that was given to every follower of Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit. However, when we are two-timing the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God within us is grieved, and we're not cooperating with the impulses of the Spirit. And it is true. We cannot only point to wars among people, but we can also point to a war that goes on within us. There is a war between our fleshly sinful nature and the Spirit of God. Paul says in Galatians 5 that the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit sets itself against the flesh. And here we see that there is this jealous desire on the Lord's behalf. Check this out. The Lord desires this to see the spirit of God at work in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. God jealously desires to see the spirit at work in your heart and in mine. You can imagine the grief that it brings to a wife. When she finds out her husband is cheating on her. As you can imagine the pain a husband has if he hears that his wife is cheating on him. And what grief is brought upon the Spirit of God within us when we are cheating on Jesus. Just as a husband jealously desires his wife's loyalty and a wife jealously desires her husband's loyalty. So the Lord jealously desires the loyalty of his people. The Holy Spirit desires to use your body to glorify God. Let me say that again. I want you to listen now. The Holy Spirit wants to use your body to glorify God. Our old nature, however, wants to use our body to serve sin. Just as your flesh gives a heartfelt cry to give yourself to sin, so the Spirit of God gives a heartfelt call for us to give ourselves to the glory of God. And where the inclination of sin is great, where the call is extremely loud and sin is crying out to you, encouraging you to come over, encouraging you to come and have your feel. The Bible tells us in verse 6, he gives us a greater grace. Where sin's inclination is great, God's grace is always greater. However, when we are driven by thoughts of jealousy and attitudes of hatred, we're showing ourselves to be ruled by our own pride. And verse 6 again says, therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Think about this. God is opposed to the proud. That means he is literally fighting against the proud. He is against those of us who say we are not committing adultery on him. And if we choose to act like there's no problem, if we excuse thoughts of anger, write off lustful desires, it's no big deal. We've been deceived by sin and our hearts are growing hard. And if we excuse our feelings of bitterness towards this person or that person, we grieve the spirit of Almighty God. As John Owens writes, if you're not destroying sin, sin is destroying you. 
The sin of left alone, it will bring forth great, cursed, scandalous, more soul-destroying sins. You know, we cannot in pride continue to nurse our ungodly behavior and not see it for what it truly is, cheating on our Savior. And the voice of God calls out to us, do not harden your hearts. He is overwhelmingly gracious to those who come to him. Uh, do you know that this isn't, by the way, the first time that the people of God were called out for spiritual adultery? And I've been reading in my own personal devotion this month the book of Jeremiah. God says to his people through Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 3 verse 1, you are a prostitute with many lovers. Think about that. Uh, God says through Jeremiah to the people, he says, all right, people, listen, here's what God's saying to you. You are prostitutes with many lovers. Then he says to his people in Jeremiah 3.30, you have committed adultery. He goes on to actually describe the attitude of the people of God like lustful horses neighing after their neighbor's wife. This attitude that the people of God in the Old Testament were actually leaning towards other gods, giving themselves over to others besides the Lord. Jeremiah comes and says, that is adultery. Listen, when you and I give ourselves over to this world system, when we give ourselves over to the world's pleasures, when we give ourselves over to sin, we are turning our backs on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are committing spiritual adultery on Jesus. That is a strong concept. But the amazing thing is that in the midst of this adulterous affair that many of us have with sin, that God is calling out with a tender voice. And he does this in the Old Testament. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 3.12. He says to the people after he said to them, you're committing adultery. He says, return faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious. Let that sink in for just a moment. Listen, you can be in church this morning when I'm fired up that you're here, but you can still be committing spiritual adultery on the Lord. And this morning you came to church and in the midst of your sin, God is calling out saying, come to me, come back to me, and I will show you overwhelming grace. God's calling out to some of you this morning. And are you going to listen to his call? Or will you continue to be deceived by your own sin and harden your heart? And miss the Lord. God says, I am gracious. Aren't you glad, by the way, that he's gracious? Amen on that one. That's an awesome truth, isn't it? Which I had it going on in my mind this morning and don't really have time to preach it. But you read the book of, I'm going to preach it anyway. I just told you I didn't have time no more to tell you. But Hosea was told by God to marry a prostitute named Gomer. He says, God, to marry this uh, prostitute and... I want you to marry her because I'm going to use you, Hosea, as an example to show how I will be faithful to Israel even when she commits spiritual adultery on me. He marries Gomer, they have children, seems that things are going great, and then all of a sudden Gomer begins to kind of sneak out of the house at night. She goes out and finds her some other lovers. Hosea's heart is obviously broken. But God continues to tell Hosea to remain faithful to her, even though she has gone out. Then as you rush through the entire book, you find it towards the end of that particular 
a story that Gomer literally did not find love in another's arms, but she was actually sold into slavery. She was being auctioned off on a block. Did not look like the woman she looked like before when Hosea first saw her. She stood there as they were auctioning her body off to be sold. And he steps in. He purchases her for 15 shekels of silver. Brings her back to himself. God said, Jose, I want you to do that because I want you to show through this picture how I'm going to be faithful to my people no matter what. Listen, you, you may be here and you might be half the man you used to be. Half the woman you used to be. You, you sold yourself to sin. You've been in slavery indebted, laid up with habits and sinfulness, committing spiritual adultery, and on the block this morning, Jesus says, I'll take you. Come, 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 come here. I'll take you back. And he's calling to you. Why would you harden your heart to the voice of Jesus? He's gracious. So how do we return? Well, that's the third thing I want you to see. We must turn back to the Lord in faithfulness. Now, this isn't a joke here, 7 through 10. He lays it out pretty hard. First of all, he says, submit therefore to God. This is how you return. When the Lord is calling out to you, and I feel he's calling out to some of you this morning, here's how you respond. Submit therefore to God. That is, line up under the authority of God. This is uh, face down in the dust. No more playing around. No more excuses, no more, you don't know what he said, you don't know what she said, you don't understand the struggle I'm going through, none of that mess anymore. This is you face down on the mat before Jesus. This is repentance at its best, submission before the Lord. This isn't dignified. This isn't your normal uh, come to church in your suit and tie and look sharp for everybody to see. This is the idea of renting your robes. The idea of throwing ash on our faces. This is me saying to God, I have cheated on you and today no more. I am submitting myself before you. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Resist means oppose the devil. Your obedience to the flesh is hostility toward God, but your obedience to God is hostility toward the devil. Let's think about that. Every single one of us in this room this morning are being hostile to someone. We are either being hostile to God or we are being hostile to the devil. Doesn't shake down any clearer than that. When we resist the devil, the Bible says he will flee from us. He will disappear from us. And I love this verse. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. To draw near, it speaks of an actual movement of your body. That's awesome. This isn't like some kind of little internal thing you've got going on. This is a movement of your body towards God. It's like where the Lord is is where I want to be. I want to move my body in that direction. And this concept gives the idea that you are face down before God. It's the posture of repentance, humility. This isn't some, uh, oh, my bad, God, uh, I'll try not to do that again. This is a heartfelt brokenness over our unfaithfulness to Jesus Christ that drives us 
to the mat with a desire to be revived in our fellowship with him. Yeah, I love the promise here. Are y'all listening? Say yes. It's like you, you, you draw near to God. This is the idea of like moving your body to the mat, getting face down before the Lord. Say, Lord, right now, submitting myself before you. And when, check this out. When you move yourself in that manner, the Bible says that God will move himself towards you. You draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. What an awesome truth that is. I know that's... Uh, Wild, Wild for Baptist, Baptist people to hear, isn't it? It's pretty, pretty amazing here, though. I would like to think that when this letter was read to those in the days of James, that people began immediately getting on their face before God. So I want to get this right. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Aren't y'all glad y'all came to church this morning? I'm just, just telling you what James says here. Y'all don't be mad at me. I'm just the mailman. Cleanse your hands. Before God, make yourself clean through confession. Don't come holding your hands behind your back, hiding stuff from the Lord as if that were possible. Cleanse your hands. And he says it like this, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Your heart and your mind are synonymous. That's why where you see that you've been thinking improperly about something, where you find that your mind is engaged in jealousy, bitterness, anger, wrath. Get that stuff purified before the Lord. And he says it here, uh, be miserable and mourn and weep. Honestly, James is saying, uh, feel horrible about your sin. Quit cruising along like it's no big deal. Don't sweep that mess under the rug. Go about in life bantering and cutting up. When you give your body over to that, you are cheating on Jesus. Stop pretending that that isn't a big deal. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. And let your laughter be turned to mourning. Your joy to gloom. Quit giggling about your sin. Quit acting like worry is an affront to God. Jeremiah keeps coming to mind as I preach this because I've been reading through that in my devotion. But uh, he even says to them at one point that they have lost the ability to blush at sin. The face didn't even blush anymore when sin came up. Yeah, I read stuff like that and read these texts, and I'm like, good night. Our fear, our fellowship may turn into something like this. Y'all all right out there? It's like you, Osteen ain't preaching this one. Y'all listening? I mean, I'm serious. It's just like when you go through the Bible, you have to talk about stuff like this. 
And, and you came, came to church this morning, and some of you are committing spiritual adultery on Jesus, and I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm trying to help you. I mean, God wants you to, he's calling you, calling you. I mean, have you, have you mourned over your sin? Man. You know, with this analogy going on between this idea of adultery, man, I, I have seen husbands and wives who... Uh, have indeed had this going on in their marriage and uh, when the wife or the husband finally uh, comes to a point of confession to get things right that there are great tears in their eyes that they're disgusted by their actions they mourn that which was a giggle for a little while no longer is pleasurable there's this disgust inside of them as they are face down before God and their spouse. That's the picture of this text. It says, humble yourselves in the presence of God. Humble yourself. Literally, are y'all listening to me? This means make yourself low. Low as you can get before God. Get it. What a great promise there is at the end of that verse, isn't it? And he will exalt you. He will. Now, what, is, what does this mean to exalt you? It's like, all right, I, okay, Lord, I see, and, and here's the deal. I know what the deal is. All right, somebody look at me, because some of y'all are like, I'm glad so-and-so's here. They need to hear this message. All right? Uh, this is for you. First uh, John, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. So, so here's the deal. deal. You, you've, you've got, got some sin. You, you need to confess it before God. You need to get low before God. And when you humble yourself before the Lord, the Bible says that he will exalt you. He will honor you. This is the idea that God himself will restore the broken fellowship that has been between you and him. That's the exaltation. Some of you, you're not walking in fellowship with God. You know Jesus personally, but you've committed adultery. You're out here wandering around with the world. And God's like, come back, come back, come back, come back. It's like the adulterous woman thrown before Jesus' feet. And there he is. He's leaning down. He said, listen, listen, look up, look up. Who is here to condemn you? No one. He wants to lift you back up. Some of you can leave church this morning back in a right fellowship with God. And you've not been experiencing that lately. But I fear, I fear after reading this passage of Scripture and studying it, that this flimsy, uh, are y'all listening, yeah? This flimsy, hey, uh, Lord, forgive me of all my sin, ain't cutting it. Y'all all right? It's like, get low. Get low. That's, that's, that's not, not dignified. dignified. Don't, Don't need to be. be. How about that? That'd, That'd be a pretty, pretty awesome service, wouldn't it? If we all just decided, let's get low. Repent before God. Walk out of here in renewed fellowship, reignited with a passion for His glory. I'm down with that. What would church look like if we all got low? 
I like getting kind of fired up about it the more I think about it. Listen, we, we must do this. We must. So I'm going to invite you to do it this morning. However God leads you, this isn't for anybody else but you and the Lord. Let's bow together. Father.